From our collect this morning, I read, And that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. That he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Please be seated. But what about beyond the ends of the earth? What about beyond what we know in this earthly realm? We've come quite a ways since the first author of this colic put it down on paper to be said on the second Sunday of Epiphany. We're actually in a whole new place. So what does it mean to carry the word, the wisdom, and the obedience of Christ beyond this world? Well, I've had a wonderful time this past week enjoying um, a novel about just that very thing. I picked this up because it was read by our our, um, monthly book group. And it was recommended to me, and although it got rather a checkered um, reflection at the book group, I very much enjoyed it. The name of the book is The Book of Strange New Things. And Strange New Things... That the, that the title talks about is the Bible itself. Because you see, this Bible, this, this, I mean, this novel is set somewhere in the future. Not too distant future, actually, but in the future. And in this world that is beginning to fray a lot, a large corporation has moved to a new place galaxies and galaxies beyond where we are. The technology has advanced to the point where they can put people in a deep sleep and that they can move at the speed of light or faster and move very, very far away to a whole new world. And as they begin to colonize this world, one of the things that they decide that they need to do is they need to bring a missionary into this world because there are beings that are there. Now, they're not quite like us, although they are humanoid in shape. Um, They are very different than we are. As the book describes it, um, the missionary cannot find a mouth, indeed can't find a face as we know it. But nonetheless, these beings on this planet have already heard the word of God through a missionary who was there before, and who very mysteriously disappeared. So when Peter, very appropriate name for a missionary traveling very far away, when Peter leaves this planet and moves to this world so very far away, he finds there a population who has already embraced the gospel, has already embraced the word of God, and now his job is to cement that relationship between Jesus and this population of aliens. And through the course of the book, we discover both how he fares in this process, how he he gets uh, attached to this group of beings and how they get attached to him, but also how earth, what he hears from earth, is decaying more and more rapidly. I want to read you just a short section out of this novel. So Peter is there with this population of aliens, and he's actually moved in with them. And they're talking about um, his ability to sleep. 
the peoples are called the Oasim. Yes, Peter says, here sleep will come for me. Good, concluded the Oasim. Then all will be well. Would all be well? There seemed reason to hope that it would. Peter had a good feeling about his ministry here. Already, inexplicably, felicious things have happened, small things. True, not strictly miraculous, but enough to indicate that God was taking a special interest in the way things were panning out. For example, when he told the story of Noah and the flood at the Oasim's request, and at the instant that the heavens opened up in the scripture, it started to rain for real. And then there was that amazing occasion after they had all stopped work for the night and the braziers had been extinguished and they were sitting there in the dark and he recited the opening verses of Genesis again at their request. And at that exact instant that God said, let there be light, one of the braziers had sputtered back into life, bathing them all in a golden glow. Coincidences, no doubt. Peter was not a superstitious person. Much closer to genuine miracles, in his opinion, were the sincere declarations of faith and fellowship from these people, so incredibly different from himself. The sincere declarations of faith and fellowship from these persons, he called them. This, this idea of a missionary going to a faraway place is not science fiction, after all, is it? This, this concept of a missionary going to some place that is so different and so unique and so remarkably beyond anything that that person could think of is the very bedrock of who we are, is it not? Are we not all called to be missionaries to foreign places? Where would we find them to be? Jesus himself was the first evangelist, called to preach his understanding of who God was and what God's love was to a very strange and different people. Not just was he asked to preach to his own kind, but also to those who were very different than he. Indeed, in our gospel reading this morning, Philip, who hears Jesus' message and who follows Jesus, is a Greek. Philip, the very name, bespeaks the fact that this man was not a Jew raised as Jesus had been raised. Philip was a Greek. Philip was a very popular and powerful Greek name, and it was not beyond the people who first heard this story to realize that Philip was of the, the, the descendancy of the tribe of Philip of Macedonia, the father of whom? Alexander the Great. Jesus came to preach to those unlike himself and to call them to that place where he was, that understanding of who, of who God was and what God's love was like. We have always been a people who have been called to bring the message of God's love through Jesus Christ to strange and different places. When the first missionaries arrived on the shores of Great Britain, of Ireland and Scotland, when Columba and Patrick and those who first began to speak to people 
who did not understand their language even, let alone the concept of, of, a, of a living God, of a God-made human being. When they were called to speak to those persons, they were called to learn a whole new way of being, a whole new language, a whole new way of talking about who God was and who Jesus was. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Mission. And in the movie The Mission, Jeremy Irons, the actor, is a Jesuit priest who goes to the Caribbean to preach to the people there the love and, and, and the, the presence of Jesus Christ to people who, who don't speak his language or have no idea of the culture that he comes from. And on and on and on. We have been called as a people to be evangelists, to speak to one another and beyond ourselves and our own understanding, to speak about the power of Jesus and the power of Jesus' love and the power of the transformation that can come to each and every one of us through that love. And yet, we fail miserably. It's not something that we do. Article after article, report after report, from any possible source that we can imagine. The church is dying. The, 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 uh, the denominations, the, the, the traditional denominations, are dwindling away. We are called to be evangelists, to speak about, about the love of a living God, and it's beginning to be a foreign language in the world out there. The more we talk about, about God and about Jesus' love here, the less it seems to be able to make any impression on any, anybody out there. It seems like the language that we use in here is now becoming a foreign language to those who are out there. They don't seem to be able to comprehend this kind of love, this kind of transformation, this kind of way of being. When I was uh, in seminary back in the middle of the 1980s, the, the, the book of the day was one called Resident Aliens. And, and the theme behind these two professors from Duke Divinity School was is that we are now resident aliens living in a world that speaks a different language. That it's the church now that is the resident aliens. That, that the 1950s, that halcyon days when, when, when congregations were thriving and large and People on Sunday mornings would greet each other outside their homes and get into their Buicks and, and into their LeSabres, and they would greet one another. Good morning, Joe. You going to church? Sure. I'm going to church. You going to church, Sam? Yeah, the kids and me, we're going to church. And now we go out and get the newspaper and come back in the house. Those days are gone. And yet we don't seem to have been able to translate that into a new way of being, that we are our called to be evangelists, that we are called to be those who spread a new word, a new language, a new understanding. Every time missionaries have left their shores, like my man Peter here, they have left places in decay. They have left places that were falling apart. Whether it was the vestiges of the Roman Empire in the third century, or, or whether it was a decrepit Europe in the, in the 16th and 17th centuries. They were leaving those places that, that had become forlorn, that had, had stopped hearing the word of God, as, as we heard in, in 1 Samuel. God's word became so faint 
It was barely a whisper. And then those who moved on, who understood the word, who heard the word, moved on to spread that word to others in a different language, in a different place. And I wonder if it's not time for us to, to realize that as, that as descendants of those missionaries, it's our time now to move on to a new language, to a new understanding of what God's transforming power can do in this world, this world that seems to be fading so quickly. Our challenge is unique in that we have a tradition that's strong and vibrant and healthy, that the hymns that we sing and the prayers that we say that come from generations of, of devout Anglicans who have said these words and sung these hymns, broken the bread together and consumed the wine around words that are ageless. And we don't want to lose that because it's so much a part of who we are. And yet with that sense of identity, maybe we need to think about moving forward and speaking in a new way, in a language that this world can understand. And it's our responsibility now. The gospel is clear. Jesus came to make evangelists. Jesus came to make those who would spread the good news. But even the word today is bankrupt. We hear the word evangelism and we may think about, about love and transformation and grace and peace. But as you say the word evangelism out there, they think about corruption and abuse. You say, oh, I'm an evangelist, and they think that we're, that we're from, from some church where if you pray what we pray, you'll get a brand new car and a $3,000 suit, just like me, because I'm an evangelist. Isn't that wonderful? The words that we use are not words that they understand, even, even more words that are repellent. But that does not stop us for being the messengers of the good news. Like the people in this book, like these foreign people, there is a world out there that's thirsty for transformation. There's a world out there that wants to desperately hear about inclusiveness and peace and, and, and that freedom of, from worry that the gospel can bring. There is something deeper and more important and more profound in our lives than, than just those things that seem to weigh us down day after day. That as we dig more deeply into who Jesus was, we find that there's a base there that holds us even in the most damaging of moments. Even when we feel our weakest, there is that entity, there is that power that can pick us up and move us forward. And so what I hear both in the novel, but also in the gospel, is, is that it is now our time to become missionaries. It is now our time, as the hymn we just sang, to go out into the world and to find ways in our own ways, in language that people will understand, what it means to be in love with Jesus, what it means to know that God is on our side and on their side too. And God is there for us wherever we are, but God is there for them too. Don't you think they deserve to hear it? That they need to hear it? That they pine to hear it? So what's stopping us, other than, than our, our own fear? What's stopping us from expressing this love 
in, in, in ways to our children and to our children's children, to our friends, to our loved ones, to those all around us. An example by what we do and by what we say that we know what God's love is all about. And it holds us tight. Now and always. The reason that we come together here is to give ourselves the support and the confidence and the courage that we need to do the work of being an evangelist. If we come here just to navel-gaze, just to applaud one another for being here on a Sunday morning, then we've missed Jesus' point. Because now that he is not here in body, we are his body. And we are his life. William James, who wrote a lot about religion and what a religion might be, paved the way for us by writing this. This is from a book that he wrote called The Will to Believe in the late 1800s. So it's a little dated in terms of his language. As far as man stands for anything and is productive or originative at all, his entire vital function may be said to deal with maybes. Not a victory is gained, not a deed of faithfulness or courage is done, except upon a maybe. Not a service, not a sally of generosity, not in a scientific exploration or experiment or textbook. That may not be a mistake. It is only by risking our persons from one hour to another that we live at all. Our lives are built on maybes. And it is only, James says, by risking our persons from one hour to another that we may live at 